This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. It's like breathing in like hot exhaust. I felt like I was breathing in like air from a different planet because it was just such a stark difference in temperature from inside my van versus when I got out. It was just so shocking. Even though we've been talking about global warming for several decades now, we haven't really been focusing on or planning for designing, funding and implementing works and initiatives that will help our cities handle the continually rising temperatures. Hello and welcome to World Changing Ideas, back for season two. We've been tracking down the dreamers, the experts and the activists who all have one important thing in common, a desire to change the world for the better. So if you're sick of depressing news and stressful headlines, then you've come to the right place. I'm Amelia Hempel, I'm a solutions journalist and a documentary filmmaker, and I'm so excited to be joining you for this brand new season where we're on a quest to find the most inspiring problem solvers from all over the world, people who are on a mission to fix things. So let's get into it. Well, here we are in October 2022. The seasons are changing. We're all getting used to a new kind of normal. And if you're anything like me, you've probably spent a lot of this past summer feeling uncomfortably hot. And as the scientists keep telling us, this is just the beginning. Rising temperatures are causing all kinds of problems, especially for cities and built-up areas, which are fast transforming into self-heating saunas. Or to use the technical term, urban heat islands. Let me transport you back to mid-July of this year. Good morning. So London, like many other parts of the world this year, is having its hottest ever summer and record-breaking temperatures. In light of this, I've got my iced coffee and I'm about to head down into one of the hottest and most uncomfortable places in the city to be right now, the London Underground. And more specifically, the Central Line, affectionately known in times like these as the pizza oven. That's because the ground rock in central London is mostly this gloopy, thick clay. It's particularly difficult for the hot air to escape from the deep underground train tunnels, so it just heats up the surrounding earth. Couple that with all the friction being generated on the train tracks, and we've now got a clay pizza oven situation where temperatures on the train carriages can regularly pass 90 degrees Fahrenheit. That's hotter than the legal limit for transporting livestock in Europe. Not comfortable. The overwhelming feeling is just stickiness. It feels very airless, really humid. Guy up there wearing full suit and tie. I don't know how he's managing that. For true authentic sweatiness, I'm doing this during morning rush hour. The London Underground handles about 5 million passenger journeys a day. Well, why don't they just install air conditioning, I hear you say? Great question. They've tried to do that on some of the newer train lines that don't go so deep underground at great expense. But when these train tunnels were being built, that was back in the late 1800s, they weren't thinking about the possibility of having to install air conditioning. 
and they basically didn't leave enough space between the train and the tunnel to do so. They also weren't thinking about the massive population growth that London's experienced, an issue being faced by so many cities all around the world. So here's our first problem. How are big cities going to regulate temperatures in the spaces that we live, work and travel through without causing huge environmental damage in the process? The basic design of air conditioning units hasn't changed in about 50 years. And the International Energy Agency, the IEA, predicts that the demand for AC is going to triple by 2050. That's a lot of extra power that's going to be needed. Luckily, there are some big thinkers out there trying to get ahead of this problem. I got into this because I'm a thermodynamics nerd and I love building things. That's Vince Romanin. He's the CEO of a San Francisco startup called Gradient. He spent a large chunk of his life creating and building a totally new kind of smart air conditioning system. But it also has the ability to do heating in addition to cooling by reversing the flow of the refrigerant in the system. And so that's one important piece of technology. The second is that most heat pumps today require a professional to install. And we took all of that technology and made it really easy for anyone to install it. It really kind of looks like a saddlebag hanging over your window. It still gives you access to your window. You can open and close your window and see through it. It definitely does look more sleek than your regular, noisy AC window box. But AC units have traditionally caused a huge hazard to the environment. All air conditioner systems today and all heat pumps need a refrigerant to operate. And the crazy thing about refrigerants is two of the biggest planet-scale environmental disasters we've seen in our lifetimes were caused by refrigerants. That was the hole in the ozone layer caused by CFC refrigerants. Those were banned back in the 90s, but then... We transitioned to another class of refrigerants called HFCs, hydrofluorocarbons, and those are the ones we use in HVAC today, and they cause a different environmental problem, which is global warming. So the HFCs from air conditioners heat up the environment, which means we need more AC units to try and cool our cities down, and on it goes. Gradient is trying to change that by using a next-generation refrigerant called R32, this could be a game changer when it comes to global warming. Vince Romanin's research shows that using clean refrigerants like R32 and a green electricity power source shrinks the carbon footprint of each AC unit by up to 80%. Potentially great news for the environment. And the unit also connects to Wi-Fi, so you can turn it on and off remotely to conserve energy. But what about scaling this up? How much does the gradient unit cost consumers? It's currently selling for $2,000, so you can buy it now. It's on our website, it's for sale. It's more expensive than a window AC, but if you look at any other heat pump, most heat pumps cost about $4,000 to $9,000 for the same amount of heating capacity because they require building modification. Okay, so you do get an AC unit and a heating device, two for the price of one maybe, but this world-changing idea is definitely not a cheap one right now. The company's working with the New York City Housing Authority to get the units into low-income housing. But what about the rest of the world? Although I'll admit it's not the sexiest of home appliances, air conditioning is still a luxury item. For the 2.8 billion people living in the hottest parts of the world, only 8% have access to air conditioning. 
That's according to the International Energy Agency statistics again. So what's being done on a macro scale? We need some more big picture solutions when it comes to extreme heat. I snuck in to New York's Climate Week to find out more. So my name is Eleni Mirivili, and I am the chief heat officer for the city of Athens. This may well be a job you've never heard of before, but a chief heat officer could soon be coming to a city near you. Eleni Mirivelli is also a big deal in the climate activism world, as from November, she's going to be taking on the role of global chief heat officer, coordinating heat responses around the world. Nobody's talking about heat. Nobody has been starting to to change the way that they design the city because heat is rising. And the cities are just sitting there passively waiting to become these little ovens that humans are going to have a really hard time living in them. And we have to really raise consciousness and we have to really figure out how to make our cities more livable and start planning for an even hotter future. Creating more livable cities is a problem facing most of our world leaders today. But can chief heat officers be a solution? Six of them have been appointed so far, all of them women. The most recent addition was in Melbourne, Australia. And as Eleni Miravilli tells me, getting people talking about the dangers of heat exposure is just their first step. What we are doing as chief heat officers, which we consider a game changer, is to categorize heat waves and to name heat waves. So naming and categorizing heat waves really makes a difference. It makes a difference because it becomes a much more concrete thing in the minds of people. If it has a name, it kind of becomes an entity. And also if it's a category, people understand that they're at risk. They're also helping coordinate data collection, Because if governments don't know exactly how hot cities are getting over time, then how can they put together a realistic heat strategy? Second kind of pillar in my mind is that all of the uh, short-term temporary things that you can do to make sure that people that are the most vulnerable are protected. And cities all around the world are doing a lot of different things. New York has introduced a buddy system and a phone app to make sure that vulnerable communities and individuals are being checked up on. We have to knock on their doors or call them. And it can't just be the municipality because there are too many. So it has to be a wide network of people that realize that we all have to take care of each other during a heat wave. Then there's the third pillar of the chief heat officer role, which is definitely the most financially challenging, helping to redesign and retrofit cities. That means changing structures and building materials to ensure that shade, cooling properties and greenery are actually built in. Miravilli says that over the next few years, every city should create a master plan for fighting heat by design. Everything that we do in the public space, when we redo a street or a pavement, when we redo a square or, you know, we redesign a park or a plaza or whatever, All of these have to be designed with the lens of how can I reduce temperatures? How can this space become a cooling spot for the whole of the city or for the neighborhood and the district, right? This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. Eugenia Cogbo, the chief heat officer of Freetown in Sierra Leone, has started a tree planting scheme to add one million new trees to the city by the end of 2022. 
In Athens, Miravilli's team is reviving an ancient underground Roman aqueduct to help transport and store more groundwater. But of course, every city has its own individual challenges, especially when faced with things like growing populations and informal housing settlements. The Arsh Rockefeller Foundation and the Extreme Heat Resilience Alliance first came up with and funded the idea of the chief heat officers. They're now hoping to get at least one officer working on every continent within the next few years. And as Miravilli pointed out, extreme heat is an issue that everyone can get involved with on some level. Get informed, understand that the type of heat that we have now is different from the type of heat that we had a couple of decades ago. People living in heat environments usually think that it's nothing because in hot environments, right, they think it's not a big deal because they're used to it and they don't understand that's a whole different ballgame right now. The statistics on temperature rise are pretty grim. Extreme heat currently kills more people every year than any other climate disaster. Yes, it's good that many of our world leaders are coming together to try and figure things out, but no one's promising that anything much will happen before 2030, by which time it's predicted that almost all countries will experience extreme heat weather events every other year. It's kind of hard to imagine what living in these record-breaking temperatures physically feels like when you haven't experienced it. I feel like as soon as winter rolls round, I'm starting to miss that summer sweatiness. Was it even that bad? We called up video travel blogger Ryan Toomey for some thoughts. If you haven't heard of Toomey, last summer he went on a filming trip to Death Valley, a desert in Eastern California that currently holds the record for the highest air temperature ever recorded on the planet, 134 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 57 degrees Celsius. It was a bit cooler than that when Toomey went, but it was still aggressively hot. It's like breathing in hot exhaust. The first thing that I noticed when I got out of my car, it was I felt like I was breathing in like air from a different planet because it was just such a stark difference in temperature from inside my van versus when I got out. It was just so shocking. But I definitely slowed down. And it's funny because when I got there, I was making a video. So I was trying to like kind of experience the heat as much as I could. I was parked next to this big giant pile of rocks. And I hiked up to the top of it, and and it was maybe 100 yards. It wasn't that big of a hill. And by the time I got to the top, I was completely winded. It was so unbearably hot when I got up there that I was just like, this is miserable. I cannot be out in the sun. You couldn't stay in the sun for probably more than 20, 20 minutes without just getting absolutely like exhausted just sitting there. It was so hot. And not only me getting exhausted, but everything overheated. Even in the shade, my phone overheated every 10 minutes. I had to put it in the fridge. My camera overheated. If it was out in the sun, it would overheat in five minutes. And there's really no escape when you're there, especially if you don't have the portable AC. It's just kind of like, feel, I feel like I might, have, uh, I might have died if I didn't have my AC. Ryan Toomey was just visiting. But there's a fast-growing number of people that actually have to live and work in these kind of temperatures. Only five hours' drive away from Death Valley, in the suburbs of Los Angeles, a community painting project is going on in the neighborhood of Pacoima, the paint is all different colours. Blues, whites, greens and pinks. It's being splashed onto basketball courts, school playgrounds, sidewalks, roofs and park spaces. But this isn't just regular paint. It's a new kind of solar reflective technology. What the technology is designed to do is really reduce surface level temperatures, which helps mitigate the impact of the urban heat island effect. What's unique about it is it uses an additive 
that actually helps to reflect the visible light spectrum infrared. And, you know, we know that kind of energy across the spectrum of light is really just radiation. Different parts of it you can see, other parts of it you can't. That's Jeff Terry. He's the Vice President of Corporate Social Responsibility and Sustainability at GAF. GAF is a roofing manufacturer, but they've partnered with an NGO called Pacoima Beautiful to bring down the heat in the neighborhood. So imagine going to the hottest place you could in Los Angeles, and you're standing right in the middle of Pacoima. So it's hot. It's just extraordinarily hot. For the elderly, families with small children and low-income workers, the scorching summer heat restricts where they can go and what they can do. Pacoima Beautiful was set up by a group of Latina mothers determined to clean up and cool down their community. Melanie Torres is part of the organizing team. Here at Pacoima, there's a lot of families and a lot of mothers who walk around. So we've already spoken to a mom a few weeks back where she's felt the difference already just walking her kids to the pool, like through her flip-flops and walking through the pavement. She can feel the difference between the regular asphalt versus the street bunk coating. Working together with local residents, they've now painted over 10 square blocks with GAS solar reflective paint. When the sun's out, Jeff Terry told us, the painted areas can cool surfaces by 10 to 12 degrees Fahrenheit. The day after we applied the coating in this community, with this community celebration, just to see these kids that were, I don't know, maybe five or six, running around barefoot, where there's no way in heck they would have been able to do that 24 hours, 36 hours before. To, to me, that was... We know what the product does, we know how it works, but to see it in practice in the lives of what we're hoping to do through this project and make a community more connected and more livable in a space where people can come together, that was pretty amazing and pretty awesome. GAF has been working with other urban heat islands in the US too, applying over 20 million square feet of paint so far, with a focus on school playgrounds and public spaces. The company doesn't actually sell to individuals at this point, but as demand grows for cool pavements, solar reflective coatings are being widely considered as a short-term solution. How long do the effects last though? A lot of it depends on kind of where it's being used. We have a, a guarantee on the product for five years. We've seen it perform up to seven to nine, depending on areas that don't get a lot of road traffic, for example. And are there any environmental downsides to this? None of the research that we've done has shown any side effects. I think some of the, the benefits that we've seen additionally is that with the coating on the pavements, it actually preserves the life of the pavement. Obviously, having fewer pavements and more trees and green spaces would be a better long-term solution. But redesigning city infrastructure is rarely a quick or inexpensive fix. In terms of results, GAF and the local community will be collecting temperature readings for the next 12 months to assess how well the project worked. So what's the big takeaway for extreme heat solutions? On an individual level, we can look into better, more eco-friendly AC units. We can educate ourselves and lean into new technologies. But on a global scale, it's going to take action from governments, big businesses and city planners to get new heat-resilient policies into our urban areas. 
I don't think there's a silver bullet. I think that the silver solution, which is not a bullet, it's kind of a more long-term thing, is streamlining the different players and making sure that we're all on the same page. And interestingly, according to the chief heat officer, Eleni Miravilli, effective heat solutions will probably be much less futuristic than we imagine. We can learn a lot from the way people did it in the old times, when we actually, again, didn't have (laughs) the type of modern amenities that we have now. And what does that mean? That means permeable surfaces, so that we don't have sealed surfaces, but surfaces that can absorb water, that can go back into the aquifer under the city. A lot of trees and canopies and shade, because the trees, it's not just the shade, but it's also this amazing thing that they do, which is called evapotranspiration, which lowers temperatures as well. And we have to go a little bit back into this idea of, okay, let's think of the water and let's kind of consider how we can slow it down and how to use it cleverly so that we don't deplete our aquifers and our resources and we have more tomorrow. We have the whole idea of cisterns and deposits that there's so many different ways that people have been creating these ways of storing water within their cities and within their towns for years and years, which we have to start kind of rethinking. So I think what I'm excited about the water issues and how we can look to the past to think of the future and kind of create new ways of doing things that we used to do in the past that can be really fun and really kind of exciting for the cities of the future. That's all for our show today. I'm Amelia Hempel, and we want to hear about the world-changing ideas going on where you are. So please leave us comments and reviews on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next Wednesday. Our show is produced by Avery Miles, mixing and sound design by Nicholas Torres. Joshua Christensen is our supervising producer, editorial oversight from deputy editor Kate Davis, and senior VP of entertainment, Scott Meebus. 